Hello and welcome to the Evidence-Based Physiotherapy Podcast. A podcast for physiotherapists and physiotherapy students to discuss all things related to research evidence and applying it to your practice. Today we are talking about clinical reasoning and we also have a special guest if you'd like to introduce yourselves. So I'm Khalid Maidan, uh, I'm a musculoskeletal specialist physiotherapist. Many people know me um, probably more for my role on the educational platform clinical physio, um, which is something that we've developed over the last six or seven years, but has probably grown the most in the last six or seven months. Um, and our whole remit is that we um, try and enhance uh, physio teaching for students and juniors. So first um, of all, I was going to say a couple of things. Um, congratulations to all of you for doing a podcast like this. It's very in- innovative. When I was a student, there weren't many podcasts around, but there certainly wasn't anything that was a collaboration between lecturers and students. So that's fantastic. Um, second of all, to say thank you very much for having me. It's it's a pleasure to be here and um, honoured to be invited. Very much appreciated. Hi, I'm Luke. I'm a second year student physiotherapist at um, Huddersfield and I highly recommend um, clinical physio webinars. (laughs) Five pounds coming later. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'm Leisha. I'm also a second year physio student at the University of Huddersfield and I also highly recommend clinical physio webinars. (laughs) That's very kind. This is becoming an expensive podcast. Thank you very much. I'm Holly. I'm one of the uh, neurology physiotherapy lecturers. And I'm Alex Burnham and also a lecturer in physiotherapy. So today we're talking about clinical reasoning. So when you hear the term clinical reasoning, what comes to mind? I think if if I could start, I think clinical reason, correct me if I'm wrong, Leisha and Luke, I think when I was a student, clinical reasoning was potentially something quite scary or threatening i don't know whether the term clinical reasoning it's it's a great term but i don't know whether it seems um almost not not elitist but it seems very high level um and uh, when i was a student certainly i was just trying to get my head around what the knee was what the shoulder was and and what abgs were never mind being able to kind of put that into practice um but as I've grown through my career clinical reasoning has become something which is a lot easier you become a lot more familiar with it and because you perhaps feel as if you know more and perhaps because you feel as if you have more experience you feel more in touch with it you feel less threatened by it and you feel less worried by it because it comes more naturally I don't know if any of that resonates with you Luke and Leisha Yeah, definitely. I think so far, like hearing it, it makes me always think that you need to learn, like know so much and like all the answers to all the whys that you could like ever have or ever be asked. But I think now that um, we've started second year, even with the content that we've covered so far, it's making me realise that um, probably by the time that I do graduate and that we are qualified and working, that we will feel a lot more confident with clinical reasoning I think now that we're starting to learn the reasons behind things and why we'll be doing the more clinical things now that we've like finished learning the theory of first year yeah totally it's about building your foundation nice and strong in first year learning like anatomy physiology and then what could go wrong with it in second and third year as you go on so that's when the clinical reasoning really comes in and I think hearing it early on it's kind of preparing you for that research and revision you're going to be doing in second and third year about patients with certain conditions. 
I think going back to what um, Carl had said about clinical reasoning almost seeming quite elitist when you're a student, I think that really resonates with me thinking back to undergraduate level because I remember a lot of my lecturers saying um, they used to use this term clinical mileage and they always used to say, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be get it'll get better with clinical mileage. And I used to think, well, I, I want to be able to do it now. And that's really going to help my placement um, and my clinical experience now. So clinical mileage isn't really a useful term for me. And yeah, there isn't another word for clinical reasoning, but it's almost about that pattern breakdown, isn't it? And I think it's potentially a bit hypocritical because we expect students or uh, newly graduated physios to assess a patient and then almost come out with loads of different hypotheses that they kind of want to test, which is why an assessment just seems to take so much longer for a newly qualified But then an experienced physio, their assessment is much more streamlined and they've already got an idea about what they want to assess. But that's based on experience. And we actually say experience is kind of the lowest level of evidence almost. So it's it's like toing and froing between between the two, which I think is quite a difficult concept to grasp. So does clinical reasoning require time then and this clinical mileage or experience in practice to get better? Or is this about knowledge underpinning our reasoning for doing something? Great points by everyone. But you perhaps as going from student to junior to senior, you perhaps focus on different things that become part of clinical reasoning. If I if I can touch upon a little bit of a, a an example i very specifically remember being in a in a band 6 msk interview and the question was can you name all of the origins and all of the insertions for all of the rotator cuff muscles and i can imagine that as a student that sounds like a horrible question as a junior who was going for a band 6 job it was also a very horrible question Whereas a more ex- as a more experienced band seven physiotherapist, that question is much easier for me to answer for a couple of reasons. Number one, when you're less experienced or younger, if I may allude to, when you're younger, there's so much to think about the rotator cuff that, re- that remembering all of those different things becomes really difficult. As you get a little bit more experienced, actually the what the rotator cuff does becomes becomes effectively pinned onto your brain board if you if i'm pinning notes onto a board that becomes pinned onto your board and then perhaps later down the line all of the origins well they all are they all originate from the scapula in some kind of way and they all insert into the humerus in some kind of way so that's another pin on the board and then when you get to a band seven those pins are a lot more detailed because you have the confidence to learn it in a more structured manner than when you're a student and you're kind of like oh my god I don't know what anything means and I'm trying to work out all of these little bits so Alex when you said stages really flicked in my mind because that one question as you get older or as you get more experienced the staging by which that question becomes more and more easy to answer grows with time And so it's really understandable that as a student, you may not just have that clinical reasoning because you've got so much to think about that it's so impossible to think about the finer details. Whereas when you've been doing it for 10 years, you can focus on those finer details because you've been doing the 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 more um, rounded bits for so long. And therefore, I completely sympathize or empathize with Holly's point that 
you're told mileage 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 and and perhaps that's because with mileage you are you allow yourself to think about more detailed things whereas a student you're just trying to learn the outer circle never mind the inner circle it's almost that um functional application of that knowledge isn't it when you're less experienced it's almost like the pure you're trying to apply the pure science when you're not entirely sure what you're trying to apply it to and that's just very heavy to try and take on board whereas with experience you are strengthening your synapses <laughs> and it becomes a bit more like the back of your hand um when you when you're coming to that clinical application that's a really valid point i think also is that as as things just start to knit themselves together if if i don't if you don't mind me going back to that example of the rotator cuff so for example okay so supraspinatus infraspinatus and teres minor are all external rotators subscapularis is in internal rotator okay so it may oh now it actually makes sense that all of those three attach to one particular part and that subscapularis does a different job so it attaches to a different part oh that kind of makes sense and so uh, as you said it's it's about focusing on less things but also the layering makes and this and the stages as you very i think aptly said kind of put layers to that Mm. so what are the barriers do you think to to good clinical reasoning processes I think the first one I would probably suggest, which is completely understandable, and I don't blame anyone for this, is fear. In the sense that, as we were alluding to a second ago, when you've got so much to think about and so much that you worry about, you it's more difficult to relax into a mode of thinking that allows you to reason. And instead, because your brain's surrounded with oh my God, there's a million things going on. It becomes very hard to do that. Um, A tip that I often give to students or junior physios coming through when it comes to MSK, because that's my bag, is to try and learn a step-by-step list for their assessment. So for example, if we did the subject of assessment, learn the step-by-step list of history of present condition, then the body chart, then aggravating and easing factors, then 24-hour pattern, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because by doing that, it makes you less fearful about then listening to what you need to listen to. Whereas if you haven't done that, you become very fearful of, oh, crikey, what comes first? Okay, now that I've asked that, okay, what comes second? Uh, Okay, and then I think I need to ask about this at some point. And it doesn't allow your brain to stop and think about the next bit. So so I think fear is one of them. Um, I think Holly alluded to it earlier, the concept of patient mileage. And no doubt, as you get more experience, clinical reason becomes easier. And so naturally for someone in Luke and Leisha's position, of course, it's all going to come. And, you know, these guys are fantastic students, so it will come. But you, you almost have to allow for that time for it to happen and during that process undoubtedly you will make mistakes not because you are wrong just because it's natural and every single student who has come before you will have done the same and uh, getting access to different journal articles getting access to different resources getting access to different podcasts like you fantastic people are are organizing can sometimes be difficult and so as a result you may not have as much opportunity to access resources that allow you to develop that clinical reasoning. Yeah, I think what you said really about removing the fear from um, students and, and new grads assessment, the problem or the mistake I've seen a lot of lesser experienced physios make with their clinical reasoning is they, they do the subjective assessment and almost have an idea about what the problem is and then use leading questions with the patient to to prove their 
their suspicion and then do the objective tests to prove their suspicion further. Fabulous. Um, and I think maybe that is fear driven. It's just trying to meet the, the time demands, meet the patient's expectations um, and almost maybe try and improve their confidence that what they're thinking is right as well. What, what do you think, Luke and Leisha, to, to Carla's points and to the kind of the clinical reasoning mistakes? No, I totally agree with what it's about in terms of being, if you're so new as a student, you're very new to research. And um, you've got all this research, like you go and research something about the shoulder, say, say someone's got a rotator cuff injury. Um, you go into some research and it's like new because you don't know what's reliable and, and what's what's true and then what's etc. in that sense. So I think the whole lack of experience with research can be quite scary itself. And then, then a step ahead of that, applying the research to the patients that you are treating totally agree with the research I've not really thought about that um like Khaled said worrying that I'm not going to be able to explain the reason why um just because I feel like there is such a vast amount of content and things to learn for all the different areas that it just feels quite daunting at this stage especially um thinking that we are actually going to be learning all of that and at the end hopefully be able to apply everything effectively and be able to answer the whys but right now um it's pretty scary I'm not gonna lie Are we too hard on ourselves and as a profession? Are we are we driving fear into students from an early stage? You know, in the grand scheme of things, when you've got surgeons that are cutting people open and, and replacing organs and doing pretty risky things or giving medications that could be particularly harmful if given wrong, getting someone up and mobilising a joint or getting them to, to increase physical activity, are we making it harder for ourselves? I think it can be a bit up to like an individual's level of confidence too because like I personally, never like really want to admit how well I know something or not so much like things that I don't know I'll quite happily admit to being like oh I don't know but the things that I do know I never want to be like oh yeah I know that really well in case like there is genuinely something that I'm missing and I think it's quite a big risk like that's the thing I'd be most scared of is like missing something that's really key so I think it can be a bit of an individual confidence thing as to how much pressure we put on ourselves and how seriously like we take this aspect of it. Other people might have more prior experience that might make them feel more comfortable with it um, and being able to explain things. But yeah, I think it can be quite an individual thing. I, I think a point that was raised earlier on was was about that you will make mistakes and you learn from those mistakes and I remember the first time that someone fell and you start going what did I do did I do it wrong did I not you know pick up these certain signs or whatever else and and sometimes just stuff happens you know and medics are really really good at being able to look at a certain situation and, and I'm not saying that mistakes are good but they are a learning process and it's about what you do with those learning processes do you sit there feeling bad about yourself or do you go right well what can I have done differently and and how do I deal and adapt with that and I think that should really be part of our clinical reasoning as well it's it should be sort of factored in yeah I think as as physios we as a profession we are always trying to prove ourselves and I think clinical reasoning really gives us our professional accountability in that we we've got to well not we've just got to a point but we have come to a point over the past uh, few decades that we're autonomous practitioners and our scope is constantly 
um, widening, especially when you think in MSK of kind of triaging your patients or um, sending them off for further investigations or um, injection therapy, for instance. So I don't think we should take the foot off um, the accelerator when we're trying to emphasise how important clinical reasoning is. But I completely agree that mistakes being made in that reflection process are um, one of the key kind of elements of how you develop your clinical reasoning. Because if from if in placement nothing ever goes wrong and then you graduate and nothing ever goes wrong and everything you always do just seems to work with your patients, you're not going to be striving to push yourself forward and develop any further because you'll think that you've just you've hit the nail on the head and you've got it from the beginning. Um, what do they always say? Is it a, a sailor learns on rough seas kind of thing? I'm not expecting that you would make mistakes continually, but I think mistakes are part of that learning process. Yeah, yeah I like I like how um, you mentioned about reflection as well. I think in first year it was always I was always thinking why are they kind of saying about reflection so much like, is it really that important and then you know then I've really come to realize actually because it really relates to clinical reasoning it really is like I remember on placement like um I'd like a reflection every day and it really really helps by the end of it from the first placement to think actually that I can really improve by learning these things so I reflect it back and maybe I wouldn't have improved as much as I did. Also when you're a student I imagine that whenever anyone says clinical reasoning, it's probably used in the context of either an exam or a placement and perhaps a placement mark in particular. And therefore, perhaps your synaptic um, processes, uh, Holly, um, kind of lead you towards anything being anything clinical reasoning is something where a mistake is a problem or where a mistake leads to a challenging consequence and I think certainly as if we have students at where I work um there's a heavy focus on this you're not here to get a first or get a second or to pass or to fail you're here to learn and, and that's really important that's a really good point so can we teach clinical reasoning mm, um I suppose that a lot of it is probably problem solving isn't it and and I suppose a lot of it is pattern recognition as as you both very correctly alluded to earlier so can we teach what those patterns are can we teach when you see a b is often a, a consequence um can we look at particular journal articles um the, the most you know the most high level form of clinical reasoning and pick out the good and bad of that and relay that on to students or on to juniors can but I think, as you said, there's a lot of self-teaching involved with clinical reasoning, as you as you as other people have touched upon in that reflective process, because you are you are engaging your own clinical reasoning, because when you um, when you reflect on three patients or with knee pain and you gave them similar ideas and they all improved in similar ways, then that that kind of that that's the start of that pattern recognition and that pattern recognition isn't just from an assessment perspective it's from a treatment perspective as well oh actually when I gave them that exercise and I told them to do it that many times it seemed to get a bit more irritable maybe I should dial that down and and give that oh that exercise only to the more higher level people and that will make a difference so I suppose we we can probably teach concepts um and as you guys at Huddersfield clearly do you 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 teach the practice of reflection which therefore allows for self-clinical reasoning I suppose. 
I always feel like clinical reasoning has got harder recently, um, particularly in MSK, because we're we're saying things like mistakes are okay, and we've moved away from doing um, special tests, which always used to confirm our diagnoses. And we've moved to being, not to say that we're general practitioners, but we've moved away from the diagnosis, which I think it kind of pulls the floor and from underneath students' feet because there's, you can do all of the, the assessment and you can add a few tests in if you want to and you can find out the painful movements and you can have an idea of a diagnosis, but then we pull that away because there's nothing that you can confirm it with and then you're continually reassessing to see if you were right. And how do you meet the patient's expectations when you can't really give a solid diagnosis because we don't have those tests anymore that we rely on because they're not reliable or valid? Uh, because they don't confirm anything for us. Mm. That's really difficult. Mm. It's really difficult as someone with without much experience or as a student to to try and pinpoint what what are you trying to do. Yeah, if if you don't mind me saying, Holly, that's a fan, fabulous point, and and you you it kind of connects something that you said earlier when you said that as physios we're always trying to prove ourselves right and we're always trying to um, give ourselves ultimate justification and I. As you said, it becomes more and more difficult over time to 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 provide a streamline for that process, especially when, you know, three, four years ago, we were talking about postural patterns, you know, as Alex was alluding to, you know, we we don't want to stick to our um, be too complacent about, you know, certain things in our reasoning and posture three, four years ago was everything. Everything we did was based on posture and that posture is like this and this posture is like that. Whereas now there's lots of suggestions coming out that actually posture doesn't necessarily matter and that people with the same posture, two different people with the same posture, one will have pain and one won't. Therefore, is it really the posture? And and it, it's such an adaptive process that, that happens um, over time. And I suppose you become more um confident in adjusting to that process whereas if you had told me about the posture thing when I was just qualified I would have thought crikey now everything I'm doing is is completely <laughs> wrong I don't know what I'm doing anymore because the whole everything I'd learned was based on that so so no I, I completely get that I think it must be really hard to be a student in current days because with things like Twitter and, and other uh, social media sites where you have just massive amounts of information available and often they are presented from um, either ends of, of um, the spectrum in terms of views about a particular therapy or or um, area of physiotherapy and it's somehow sort of down to the student to to take on board this information and try and rationalize it and make sense of it so how do you overcome this as students and and how do you sort of deal with this massive amount of um, of information which is telling you often different different things i suppose i really try and look at the positives and negatives negatives of both and then i try and do as much studying as possible and try and get a rough idea of which treatment is best but like we like we can say like no treatment is necessarily perfect compared to another so how does that help with your learning does it make it harder you know does it change the way in which you learn certain subjects knowing that there are six or seven tools and everyone seems to be sort of arguing about which one's best i suppose it sounds weird but i suppose i kind of like it because there's all these new treatments coming out and it's like great there's more tools for that physio toolbox i've got that i can try and pull out so when 
when it does come to like clinical reasoning with a patient, I'll have all these tools which might be a bit overwhelming. And I suppose if I've got that fear there, it, like with new, I'm quite new to it. It I might do all these tests and they all they're all like fine. I think oh now what? Because I'm I'm so bombarded with it. So that that can be the difficulty with it. But at the same time, I kind of like it because I think the more you can learn, the better. Um, I don't actually know what else to add on to that, to be honest. <laughs> I've got a question for you, Leisha, if, if that's OK, um, because you, you're someone who's struck me as an incredibly dedicated, very motivated, very enthusiastic student. And Alex was mentioning a second about social media and how accessible it is. And, and that conversation with Luke. I remember when I was younger and I certainly felt this way. As students, do you fear Twitter? Mm, I don't fear Twitter. Now, I've personally found it like more useful for like updates on, I don't know, research or like webinars or um, other learning opportunities and things like that. Um, and also like hearing um, other students experience as well, which can be really um, reassuring and encouraging as well. I think it's a really great support network. Fabulous. No, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And and I'm really pleased that it's a very it's a worthwhile resource for you I was just touching upon what Alex was saying earlier whereby lots of different opinions and lots of different thoughts on Twitter are very accessible um, mm. and I know that you know there's it, it will be a very common scenario where someone might suggest thought of clinical reasoning on something like Twitter and very quickly they might get 50% of people ticking liking fantastic wonderful and another 50% who will go very much in the opposite direction does does that have an influence for Holly and Alex as as lecturers as to um uh, that that's probably one way that I felt when I was much younger that I could probably couldn't I felt I don't want to put my clinical reasoning thoughts on Twitter because someone's going to shoot me down is that something that you um talk about with students or have thought about with students or worry about with students I don't know I mean it's definitely one of the focuses of of most uh, education institutions is to instill that sort of that questioning and and the inquiry um, process with with students and to really try to foster that. I think sometimes it's quite hard going against these views and very very strong polarized views on Twitter because often students can come away uh, being very anti-therapy in one way or another whereas we try to and I, I think most education institutions are very similar with this um, they try to teach a very um, middle of the road approach just in case students do go out on clinical placement and they end up with an educator that's from the um, the sort of area of physio that they really don't like in which case they're not going to come out with a very good grade and they're going to have a very negative experience of the profession as a whole and what Luke was saying about the toolbox I didn't know they were still using the toolbox but they used they used to bang that toolbox into us at university all the time and but the good thing about it was is that they were seen as different approaches that you could use when needed yeah, yeah, yeah. whereas now it's very much saying that that tool is wrong and that tool is wrong and I, I struggle with that I think we probably should um incorporate particularly in first year about how to engage with social media because we we may talk about it in maintaining professionalism and not posting things that put you in a bad light put the profession in a bad light and actually I think now there's a really grey area now on Twitter, which um, 
for instance, when I was an undergrad, I, I don't think Twitter was a thing back then, but fa- I think Facebook was a thing. We just moved out of the MySpace era and Facebook was a thing. <laughs> There's no way that you'd take a picture of yourself in your tunic in the hospital changing room and post about the placement and where you were and what specialism you were on. You just wouldn't have done that because it, it wasn't appropriate to do that. Whereas now my Twitter feed is full of students saying, oh, I'm at this hospital, this is the placement I'm, I'm on, my educator's really great, this is the patient experience I've had today. And as much as they're maintaining confidentiality, I'm not sure that that is, I'm not sure if that's right or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, again, just coming back to the evidence and the clinical reasoning side of things, what Leisha said about who you follow, and if you if you follow physios and it's a really supportive network, then that's great. But equally who you follow determines what you're seeing potentially in regards to the research and not that we don't support but we don't actively support finding information through Twitter probably because of those biases that come through. Absolutely I think that's the fantastic points from both of you and I think that Alex especially when you highlighted that you want students to be able to make their own choices in terms of it's hard because the whole idea of clinical reasoning isn't it that you do what has been evidence not what you choose to do and that's very that's a very tough process isn't it especially when as you said lots of people are on social media banging this particular direction you must do this this is wrong that is right it doesn't allow you to explore which of course as a student you need to do you want to find your direction and, and find your way of doing things and as a as a as a I don't know, an external provider of education in, in clinical physio to, to give you a bit of an, a, an, a thing, an insight into our world is that we might put something out and we've had people in the past saying you shouldn't be teaching that anymore. Or, you know, this is a bad platform because you're giving students the wrong information. And it's such a huge balance between Twitter, as you said, being um, threatening when different views are discussed but of course as a student you need to hear all those different views and you need to explore your boundaries and you need to learn how you respond to each of them in order to formulate your own your own thought processes with an overhead that there is a certain level of high level evidence that will perhaps feed more in and influence specific things mm. if that makes sense yeah, yeah perfect sense okay. yeah if I think about back when I was a student and seeing some of the students coming through on placement and through clinical physio, I personally think that the level of clinical reasoning or the level of knowledge, the level of understanding is dramatically better than when I was a student. And I hear some of the things that students mention these days. I thought, crikey, it took me about four years to get my head around that. And so I commend, you know, Luke and Leisha and and, and everyone else in your year group. And, and of course, the lecturers who were educating them because something is really going well. And you guys have you guys have a much better foundation than I ever had, I think. This podcast, a lot of the time we're looking at papers and we're thinking about having that critical hat on. And I think this just shows how having that critical thinking cap on when you're looking at research papers and not taking information at face value applies to clinical practice. And when you've done an assessment, initial assessment, and you've got your suspicion of what the problem might be, don't take that at face value. You're still questioning yourself and you're still curious. Um and you're still trying to um, go kind of that one step further with it. So I think that just that's just quite a nice bridge between the two things. 
any tips that you've got for students perhaps just starting to um, learn more about clinical reasoning what would you say keep it simple I think Khalid's point about taking the fear out of things and having a step-by-step process for your assessment is really really key Um, and uh, we can be so good at overcomplicating things in physio but don't try to second guess yourself initially Um, yes you've got that critical hat on and you're not taking everything at absolute face value but I I back up everything that Holly's just said absolutely spot on and I think if there was any other um, tip I could say number one is to relax and don't worry and number two is if I was to say I'm, I'm not trying to boast any kind of trumpet here but if I was to say that I was good at clinical reasoning I was never good at clinical reasoning on day one the only reason that me or or Holly or Alex or anyone who's an experienced level is good at clinical reasoning is because they have walked the steps of that journey to get to the destination. There is no way that after a month of anything that you've arrived at that destination, it's taken a long time. And I absolutely would have been in the same position as Luke and Leisha and, and any other student may be, where they may think to themselves, car, I can't wait for five years from now where everything makes a lot more sense and everything. I've absolutely 100% been there. And so I suppose it's an it's an understanding that everyone else who's come before you has fa- has found the same things. And it's about accepting that 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 roller coaster is going to happen. Um, all you need to do is buy the ticket and get on it and you will get to the other side. But don't worry if there are ups and downs because they are going to happen. Another one as well. What would um, advice would you guys um, give us in for the current situation? Obviously, with all of the lectures, well, most of the lectures being online. What a good question. Um, I suppose that the big, um, I suppose the biggest difference, which I, I know will come with time, is that you won't have the practical opportunities now. Um, therefore, I suppose if we if we go back to what Alex said a second ago, you know, what how many basics or what level of basics can you learn now? And therefore, if it means that when you then go out on placements or when you get that practical clinic experience where which covid may not be allowing you to do the more of the basic things will allow you to cement that um and and if it means you know focusing on anatomy if it means focusing on your exact different components of your subjective assessment as i was saying earlier so that when you're on clinical placement you already know that bit you don't have to think oh what comes next because you know it um it all it's almost as if to put you in the best possible position that when it comes to your placement you feel confident right now I can actually learn the things that I have been missing rather than oh crikey now I've got to do both at once. Yeah I would completely agree with that Khaled um I think obviously we don't have a choice in that we've been moved online but equally I think there's a silver lining to moving online mm. in that you can engage with the content and the learning that's available to you at a time that suits you best really um and i think what i think what a lot of physios even qualified physios are potentially missing is they can go onto a rotation and they can go through um the day-to-day practice of wherever they are um and maybe they're lacking some of that theory so I think almost the fact that you've got blocks of theory which you can completely immerse yourself in 
will actually put you in much better stead for applying some of your practical um, handling and uh, kind of practical techniques because you'll understand why you're doing them as opposed to just demonstrating them and doing them. Um, I also think there's a silver lining to being online in that you're not you've got extra time available to you so you're not commuting you're not stuck in traffic you've not got kind of dead time between um kind of lectures for instance so you can look after yourself much better and you can exercise and you can sleep well and you can spend a bit more time revising or watching clinical physio webinars or engaging with um other sources of information so actually i think there's a there's a real silver lining to it brilliant well that's all we've got time for today so thank you very much for the discussion and also thanks for listening if you have any questions thoughts or comments on today's episode then you can email us on the evidence-based physio at gmail.com alternatively you can find us on social media at twitter or instagram at the ebp podcast Please let us know what you think of the episodes and also leave questions or subjects you'd like to cover in the future. Thank you for listening.